with me this morning, if you will, to a little-known, little-read Old Testament book by the name of Haggai, the prophet Haggai. Now, if you're in your pew Bible, it's page 769. If you're looking in your own Bible, it's towards the end of your Old Testament. In fact, it is the third book from the end of your Old Testament. So you can start in Matthew and go backwards, and you will find a short two-chapter book entitled Haggai. We are uh, going to do a a very short uh, 52-week sermon series on the book of Haggai. Dan suggested that the sermon series should be longer than three weeks. Just kidding. Three weeks in the book of Haggai, and uh, we're going to do an introduction to the book this morning. Well, let's get there, and uh, we'll pray, and we'll get started. Father, we pray your blessings upon our time. Thank you for the encouragement that we've had as uh, we've listened to Austin and uh, your work through your body of Christ among the nations, and uh, it's it's a privilege as well for us to lift our voices to you in song. Lord, now we pray that uh, we would uh, attune our, our hearts and our ears to your word, uh, that we would learn to put you first in all things and to prioritize what you would have for us to prioritize in our life. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. There was a, a pastor of a hundred years ago by the name of Clovis Chappelle, and he once told uh, this story, uh, and I'm going to steal it. He told a story about two paddle boats two paddle boats, and uh, they left from Memphis at about the same time. And of course, they were traveling down the great Mississippi River, heading towards their destination of New Orleans. Now, as they traveled side by side, the sailors from one vessel made a few snide remarks about the snail's pace of the other. Now, as you can imagine, things escalated, words were exchanged, challenges were made, and of course, the race began. And as the story goes, the competition became somewhat vicious between the two boats as they roared through the, the deep south, and one boat began, uh, began kind of lagging behind. It was running short of fuel. Now, they had plenty of coal for the trip, but they weren't anticipating getting into a race. And so as that particular boat dropped behind, there was a young, enterprising sailor who thought that he would take matters into his own hands. And so he began to grab some of the ship's cargo and began to toss the cargo into the oven. And when the other sailors found out that the supplies that they were to deliver actually made pretty good fuel, well, they all began to do that, tossing their cargo into the, into the, the, the pit and uh, to win the race. Um, well, in the end, the boat did end up winning the race. But of course, in the end, they burned up all their cargo in the process. You know, friends, we too can uh, start the journey of our Christian life well. We can begin with right priorities. We can begin having a clear mission, a clear purpose, a clear priority of God first in our life. But like this steamboat, along the way, we can get our priorities wrong. You know, life can become about something other than God's priorities, and his kingdom, and we too can begin to throw our precious cargo entrusted to us by God into the furnace of our own possessions and priorities and pursuits and purposes. You know, the people of God in Haggai's day had started their lives back in their promised land from exile well. They had returned from exile, and they almost immediately began to uh, rebuild God's temple, the place where he dwelled, the place where worship would happen. But something happened along the way. 
and they too lost their priorities. And so as we look into this short two-chapter book in the book of Haggai, I think we have much to learn about prioritizing uh, God first. So this morning, I've got four points, four things that I hope to accomplish as we introduce ourselves to this little-known, little-read, but wonderful little book in the Old Testament by the name of Haggai. So first of all, we're going to take a look at Haggai's milieu, which is just a fancy word for background, but it started with M, so there we go. We're going to then take a look at his thank you, his messenger, which is the, the prophet himself. We're going to look at his messages four sermons to be exact, and then what is his message? Kind of the overarching theme, the main point of this little book. Well, let's begin by taking a look at the background for the book of Haggai. Uh, Like our earlier sermon series in the book of Malachi, the background for the book of Haggai is the post-exilic life of the people of God. You may remember that God's people uh, there in Jerusalem and Judah in 586 BC were taken out of their homeland by Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, and there they resided until the year 538. In 538 BC, under the generous policy of a king by the name of Cyrus, he was king of Persia, some 500,000 Jews living in exile began the long, treacherous trip back to their homeland, back to Jerusalem. And they were led by a man that, who, who actually shows up in our book by the name of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, say that five times fast. Now with him also came some important men. There was Joshua the high priest and two prophets. You'll see them on the screen behind me. Two prophets accompanied these uh, Jewish re- exiles coming back to their homeland. One was Zechariah and the other was our boy Haggai. So things began really well. Sacrifices were soon reinstituted. They rebuilt the altar of God, and they started a rebuilding project uh, in the temple's foundation. Remember, it had been leveled by Babylon, was rebuilt in about uh, 536 BC. So things began well. The people of God were zealous for the things of God. They wanted to see God worshiped in his temple, and they started this building project. But as things often can happen, trouble soon followed. There were pagan uh, nations around them that put pressure on them to stop the building of the Lord's temple. We see the Persian king also put pressure on them. And so the rebuilding uh, project of the temple essentially came to a halt. Apathy set in. Neglect among the people of God towards the temple of God. Weeks became months. Months became years. And the temple, God's temple laid fallow. Not only that, but the people were not experiencing the blessings of God because they weren't pursuing obedience to God. So times became difficult. 16 years to be exact. 16 long years the people of God neglected the house of God. That is until the year 520 when a new king of Persia by the name name of Darius came on the scene and God raised up two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, to encourage the people to rebuild his temple, to be recommitted to him. So Haggai, along with Zerubbabel and other men, Zechariah, encouraged the people of God to wake up from their lethargy and to to get right their misplaced priorities and to prod them on to finish building the temple. And it did actually happen in the year 515 BC when construction was eventually finished. So this is what is going on. This is the background in which Haggai writes 
to the people of God. Let's take a look then at the messenger. What do we know about Haggai himself? Not very much is, is really the answer. We don't know where he came from. We don't know about his family background. We don't know what tribe of Israel he came from. We don't know if he was a professional prophet or just a, a layman that God called. All we know is that he calls himself the prophet Haggai. So obviously he played this role. Uh, what we do know is a little bit about his name. His, ma- his name means festival or a festival of the Lord. Maybe um, he was born there in exile on a festival day, and his mom and dad said, we're going to name you Festival. We don't know why he was named that, but it was fitting, because what was he doing? Haggai's chief purpose was to encourage the people of God to get their priorities straight, to rebuild the temple so that what could happen there? Festivals, right? So that they could celebrate and worship the Lord. So we don't know much about Haggai himself. But we do know quite a bit about his messages. We'll see uh, in, the, in, the, in the next couple of weeks that Haggai gives four messages to the people of God. And he dates them very specifically. You'll see them on the screen behind me. Uh, in the year of 520 BC, the second year of Persia's King Darius, we know that Haggai gave four messages on three dates. The first was August 29th. The second was October 17th. And the third and fourth messages fell on December 18th, which is a great day. It's my anniversary. So there we go. So what this means is that Haggai's ministry, at least his recorded ministry, is very short, right? Four months. Four months, a very short time period, but he had a huge impact on the people of God. It also shows us that, as far as we know, he was the very first writing prophet to address the returned exiles. So we've seen a little bit about what's going on uh, in, the, in and around the book of Haggai. We've learned a little bit about Haggai himself. But for the bulk of our time, I want us to become familiar with Haggai's messages. So as I've said before, this uh, book is very easy. The structure is very simple. If you read it, you'll find out that there are four messages, four sermons that God gives to Haggai for his people. The first one is kind of a rebuke. It's basically God saying, you have wrong priorities. You should build my temple. But the next three messages, which are found in chapter 2, are all messages of encouragement. The people of God respond. They begin to rebuild the temple. And, and so God pours out his blessings and he encourages them. And that's the final three messages. Well, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to summarize each message rather quickly. And then I've asked several men from the church to come and to read uh, this particular message. So we will read through the book of Haggai. Don't worry, it's two short chapters. The first message that God gives his people in chapter one is simply this. The temple must be rebuilt. See, in Haggai's opening message, the Lord confronts his people. They had misplaced priorities. He says, you say that it's not time to rebuild my temple. And yet, all this while, you've been working on your own homes. You've been building lumber. You've been painting. You've been putting up drywall. You've been working on luxurious homes for yourself. But look at my temple. You have not worked at all. So the temple must be rebuilt. Multiple times, he says throughout this chapter and throughout the book, give careful thought to your ways. He's saying, think about your priorities. Think about what has been happening because you've been putting your own personal priorities over mine. You know, there's a story that uh, is told of of a man and his uh, family, and they arrived at the big game, the Super Bowl. And they were very excited, and they took their seats, and uh, the, the, the father, the husband, was sitting next to an empty seat. And he thought, man, how could there, 
the game has started. How could there be an empty seat in the Super Bowl? So he asked the, the gentleman who is, you know, right next to the empty seat, sir, I just was curious, is this your seat and, and why is it empty? And the, and the man proceeded to, to tell him, well, um, it is my seat. It, it was actually my wife's seat, um, but she recently passed away. And the man said, I am so very sorry to hear that. And as the game went on, he struck up another conversation. He said, sir, I, I was just curious. It, it's, it's bothering me. I, I'm so sorry about your, 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 your wife, but did you not have a friend or, or a relative or, you know, a child or a cousin, somebody who would, who would take this seat and attend the Super Bowl? And, and the man replied, well, it beats me why they didn't want to do it. They all insisted on going to the funeral. <laughs> wrong priorities, right? You know, God's people in chapter 1 had wrong priorities. So God calls them out of their wrong priorities into his priorities. Jay, why don't you come read for us chapter 1? Thanks. Okay, Haggai chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew, and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and on all your labor of your hands." Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. Thanks. So the people of God got the message. They responded positively. And that led then to a second sermon or message. And in that second message, God says this, The latter temple... The latter temple, that is the one they're working on, it will be filled with glory. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. So in his second message, the Lord begins to encourage the people. He wants them to know that I am with you. Now he says, many of you, 
you are working on this second temple, and you look at it, and it looks puny. It looks small. It seems insignificant compared to the one that prior existed. And so, obviously, morale must have been low. So God sends Haggai to encourage them. He's with them. Continue to work hard. But not only that, he predicts a day when God would disrupt the Gentile rule over the world that was there upon them. And he says to them, I will make this temple, the very temple you're working on, the point of my Messiah's worldwide kingdom. It's like he says to the people, you may not see the greatness of this house now, but you are a part of something bigger. Keep working. I'm going to do something with what you are doing. So, Dan, why don't you come read for us the second message, chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Haggai 2. In the second year of King Darius, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Josadak the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I I covenanted, With you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations, and what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. All right. In the third message, a message of encouragement, the Lord says to his people, sustained obedience leads to blessing. So some two months after God's first message of encouragement, and some three months after they began building, God, again through Haggai, encourages the people. He uses an illustration, an illustration from the Old Testament law that they would be familiar with, but we may not be as much if we're not uh, doing devotionals in the book of Leviticus, okay? But let me just explain the point. The point that he makes in this little section is that in the Old Testament law, just as one who was ritually impure transferred that impurity to something he or she touched, Haggai says that the post-exilic people of God, before they began to build a temple, they were spiritually impure in God's eyes. That they had, they had failed to rebuild the temple. And that impurity seemingly spread to everything that they did, rendering the land unfruitful. But that was about to change. The Lord says, remember what it used to be like, but then you took steps of obedience. You began to rebuild the temple, and now I see you're serious about it. So I will promise my very presence is going to be with you. Larry, why don't you come read this message for us, chapter 2, verses 10 through 19. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. 
Ask the priest what the new what the law says. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil, or other food, does it become consecrated? The priest answered, No. Then Haggai said, If a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, It becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, So it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of twenty measures, there were only ten. When anyone came to a wine vat to draw fifty measures, there were only twenty. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from this twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree... The pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. So the book ends with a fourth and final message. The Lord says to his people a final word of encouragement. My king will come into his kingdom. While the first messages were, uh, generally speaking, for some specific people, but to go out to the people of God, this last message actually goes to one man in particular a man by the name of Zerubbabel. Remember, he was the governor or the ruler, if you will, of Judah. God tells him, specifically to this man, that a day is going to come when God would overthrow Gentile powers in all kingdoms of the world, that he would raise up Israel as a national power and a kingdom once again. And he says, you, to you, Zerubbabel, I will make you like my signet ring. Now, we may not have any idea what a signet ring is. We'll talk about it in a couple weeks. But basically, he says, I am going to raise up either you or one like you as my authorized representative on earth. I believe this will happen when Jesus Christ returns to establish his kingdom. So we have one final bit of prophetic uh, uh, information here. I think it's as if God is saying to Zerubbabel and to the people, you can count on the fact as you rebuild this temple that ultimately I will be victorious, that my kingdom, your kingdom will come. Justin, why don't you read this last section for us? So, let's close with this. What is Haggai's message? So, what's the main point, right? What is Haggai really getting at? I think Haggai's purpose can be summed up in three short words. Put God first. I think that's the overarching point, the overarching theme. Put God first. It's what Haggai is all about. So, what does that look like for me and you? 
where in, in the next couple of weeks, we are going to be talking and thinking about priorities. Here are four questions I want you to chew on, and as we come into next week and we enter into chapter one, we're going to dive into these. That, uh, here's the first question. What, is, what are God's universal priorities for his church? So as we think about what does it look like for us to put God first in our lives, I think the first question we have to ask is, what does God want for every Christian everywhere? for the Christian in Cisna Park and for the Christian in Timbuktu. What does God desire for us? So here we're thinking about make disciples, right? Spend time in prayer, pursue holy lives, those type of things. The things that are in scripture that are so clear, they're undebatable. That's what God wants for me and for you. So we start there, but then we have to ask a second question. What are God's personal priorities for me? That is, given what we know God wants all of us to do as Christians, well, what does that look like in my life? And we have to ask a few other questions. Questions like this. How has God specifically gifted me through the Holy Spirit? What is my personality? What experiences has he given me to shape my passions and my desires, right? So we need to begin to think about the big picture priorities and then how those intersect with our own personal priorities that get God maybe laying on our hearts. A third and maybe a difficult question, more challenging question to answer is this one. What are my priorities in reality? So it's one thing for us to say, yes, God wants Christians to share the gospel. And here's how God has shaped me in order to best share the gospel. But then we need to ask the third question. What really are my priorities? Because oftentimes we see God's priorities, and then we see how he shaped us. But when we think about how we use, practically speaking, our time and our talent and our treasures, what we often find out is that, uh uh-oh, my priorities, if I were real and honest— aren't exactly God's priorities. God's priorities are here, but mine are over there. So we are going to begin to think about and explore what in reality are our priorities for us as a family, for me as a, as a, as a, as a student, for me as an employee or a business owner or as a mom or as a dad. What, what really are my priorities and do they align with God's? Because the people of God many, many years ago thought that they were in line with God's priorities, but his temple was sitting there unworked upon. And what were they doing? They were building their own palaces. They were working on their own houses. And friends, how we can do that today as well. A fourth question then. What are some of my misplaced priorities? That is, where am I missing God's priorities in my life? Where are my priorities trumping God's priorities. Well, that's our introduction to the book of Haggai. We're going to pray, and then I'll invite you all to stick around and enjoy a lunch. Say hello to Justin. Thanks for coming. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful little book that, uh, again, maybe some of us have never even read before or been exposed to, and yet it speaks so clearly to us in our own lives. Father, even now I think about how it's so easy for me and for all of us to be so caught up with building our own house, so to speak, when your house is in shambles, we can so easily misplace our priorities for yours. And so, Father, help us to repent when we recognize that we aren't placing your priorities first in our life and teach us what it means for each of us to put you first. We ask it in the name of Christ and God's people said, amen. All right, guys, see you at lunch. Thanks for coming.